Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for July 15th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. On this week's edition, we kick off a series of interviews with upcoming inductees into the Arkansas Agriculture Hall of Fame, and we visit with some teachers attending the FFA's Arkansas Agricultural Education Summer Teachers Conference at Camp Couchdale in Garland County. We also learn about the new sheep herd at the University of Arkansas Monticello. First up, we launch a special series of interviews leading up to the Arkansas Agriculture Hall of Fame induction in August. Jason Brown kicks off the series with a conversation with former Arkansas Farm Bureau President Randy Veach. Today, we'll launch the first in a series of interviews leading up to the Arkansas Agriculture Hall of Fame induction ceremony in August. The Arkansas Ag Hall of Fame was founded in 1987 by Paul Harville, C.R. Swarry, and the Great Ar- Greater Little Rock Chamber of Commerce. The program builds awareness of agriculture and honors past and current leaders who have given selflessly to the farm industry, their communities, and to the economic development in the state. It's my extreme honor to welcome the first guest in our series, someone who's quite familiar with Arkansas Farm Bureau, Mr. Randy Veach. Randy, welcome to the Arkansas AgCast. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about uh, not only an organization that I'm really proud of and think a lot of, but also about agriculture and how our farmers and ranchers Uh, do all they do for to keep uh, people with food on the table and uh, and many other things that they do yeah well thank you thank you so much again for joining us and and so so excited to dive into this conversation you know uh, you are a native of Mississippi County in, in far northeast Arkansas and an alumni of Arkansas State University tell us about growing up around agriculture, especially in such an agriculturally rich region of the state, and your history on the farm? Well, it's, uh, I said that I would uh, would never farm. <laughs> of course, my dad, all my life, you know, I've been on the farm and worked on the farm. When I was uh, uh, 10, 11 years old, uh, I was driving a cotton picker by myself, you know, and uh, so, uh dad was always was a hard worker and he wanted us to work that way as well and so uh and i said i would would never farm i went to college for uh two years at arkansas state university and got married and dad said that you know uh school is over son you got responsibilities (laughs) got family and so i started uh, farming with dad and uh and it was the best decision I ever made in my life because I love farming. And, uh, and so I have farmed for 50 years and uh, probably 51. But, uh, yeah, I have uh, farmed uh, that long and uh, have seen a lot of crops and a lot of things go on and prices to go one extreme to the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like pretty early on uh you you truly became passionate about agriculture um when was there a a certain moment that you decided you know this is what i when your mind changed you said you never wanted to be a farmer was there what was the moment or what was the impetus that say you know i really do want to pursue agriculture as a career do you remember that well yeah i mean like i say you know when i i uh uh, stepped down from college, uh, quit college, and uh, as I was married and everything, and had responsibilities with family like, and so, uh, I mean, we didn't have children yet, but we had children later. But uh, that that put me in a position uh, to start farming with my dad, and uh, yes, it was the best decision I made, and uh, God was in all those decisions, and it sure is, and it, in my heart, my heart is still in agriculture and uh, so i uh, i believe that uh, you know we are in a position as as farmers and ranchers out there that we have to take care of the land and the resources that we have that god has given us and uh, and not only that 
but we have a responsibility to feed and clothe pretty much most of the world, especially in our country. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. I don't think sometimes I think it it we take for granted the exactly the the vast amount of, you know, food, fuel, fiber that that farmers provide. Well, tell us a little bit about your farming operation there in Northeast Arkansas. We we've had a few conversations and been talking about this a little bit, but I would love love for you to share here with our listeners uh, about your operation and sort of the the lineage there. Uh, the, back to going back to your grandfather who originally cleared that ground for farming. Yeah, and then uh, my dad, you know, took over uh, behind uh, my grandfather in uh farming the land and then uh, when i uh, got married and and started farming with dad and then it was uh you know pretty much that he began to continue to turn more over to me as it went and then later on well as uh, we had children and they grew up and went to college for a while kind of like me and then uh they uh, had, we had both of the boys, Justin and Brandon, that farmed with us. And so there's nothing like that than, you know, having your family, a family farm, that, that generations of a family farm. Mm-hmm. My dad's grandfather, my dad's father, and then, then uh, my, my dad, and then me, and then my boys, and we were all farming together. And uh, we, uh, we were farming mostly uh cotton back then mm-hmm. cotton and soybeans and then as we went on and through the process and we, and we farmed several things we farmed rice and uh, uh milo and uh many things like that as as it gone along and as things uh progressed and we and we grew in in the acreage that we farmed and uh but now, then my youngest son passed away, and then uh, my oldest son, and not long after my youngest son, our youngest son passed away, my older son decided he didn't want to farm anymore. And, uh, and then I was deep and into Farm Bureau, as president of Farm Bureau and everything, that we actually, my cousins farm the land now. And so, and they do a great job. And I, I kind of uh, grew, they grew up, you know, with me. Like, I mean, they're younger than I am, but I mean, I kind of help raise them too, some too. Uh, so they're, they're real close. And so they are, they are farming our land now. Nice. Yeah. So that, that, that sort of gets us to your transition into Farm Bureau. Obviously, some devastation in your family, um, but allowed, we, allowed you to still transition the farm and the land over to, um, to family while then starting to advocate and really focus on agriculture from a statewide perspective. Um, you know, you served 11 years as president of Arkansas Farm Bureau, uh, one of only 11 men to hold that office. Um, tell me what those years really meant to you. Yeah, uh, here, here working working it for Arkansas Farm Bureau and leading the organization. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, a lot of people uh, in our nation and in our state take what they sit down to the table to eat every day, every meal. They kind of take that for granted, and uh, it's always been my goal to uh, help them understand the importance of agriculture, the importance of food on the table and feeding our kids at school and things like that. And, and our farmers and ranchers out here are working hard every day. And, and actually they put their livelihood on the line every day. I mean, it's, you could have a disaster any day and they're, they're, they're continue to going on. And we've got farmer after farmer that has had a disaster but still fought back and, and still are farming and, and still pr- providing that food, fiber, and shelter that everyone that needs in our nation and around the globe. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's, I think that's part of your heritage. I think it's folks, um, 
attend the event in August and hear hear your actual induction and ceremony, I think it's really quick to see um, your advocacy come to the forefront really quickly. Um, you know, just just ta- in us talking, I know that you've traveled abroad uh, more than a dozen countries to promote Arkansas agriculture. Um, in doing so, you know, in addition to that uh, international travel, you've worked on farm bills, you've navigated natural disasters, you've, you know, you've done so much for the agriculture industry in this state. Can you, can you talk about a few accomplishments that sort of stick out to you, a, a few sort of tentpole moments over your career and lifetime um, so far that really just stand out to you as, as, as moments of big wins or, or moments you're really proud of? Well, I, I could say, of course, that it's, it's, it's all of us together, you know, those that work there at Farm Bureau in promoting agriculture and all, and, and then the board, all the board, and, and the counties in the state, all, everybody weighs in into that. And, you know, we all have to uh, be telling and explaining to and, uh, and showing people in where we live and where we farm uh, about how important it is. But yeah, I think that my uh, trips overseas, you know, we produce uh, a lot more food, fiber and shelter than uh, we can, than we need in our country. But that's good. And God has given us that opportunity. And so we, we, we need to, uh, I felt like that we needed to have an outreach to other countries and help them in understanding that uh, we have some of the best products, uh, agriculture products that, that they need uh, than any other place in the world. And, uh, and so I've been to uh, China twice and, uh, and dealt with them, and it's pretty difficult. And uh, I'll tell you one little quick story that we were uh, talking to uh, three uh, Chinese men that were we were negotiating and talking with them about trade with Arkansas agriculture, and uh, and we were arguing back and forth. And uh, I have a tendency to do that because I want them to make them understand. But arguing back and forth with them, and Rich uh, slides me a, a little note he put on a piece of paper and said. Uh, Ask them about lead and paint. And I said, I don't think I'll go down that road, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Rich, Rich, and uh, Tom Jones was with me several times, but Rich always with me. And uh, and we always really work great together. Rich is great, and uh, he's a great president of Arkansas Farm Bureau as well. But sure. but China was a big issue because China and, and I – I t- when I negotiating with them, I told them, I said, you know, you cannot feed your people. You have to have imports of food, fiber, and shelter. You cannot feed your people. And so uh, they were a lot, you know, you have to get at the point to them that they need you and, and they need those high quality farm products that we produce in our state. And, and so we did, we, we get through to them and we actually increased uh, trade to China during that time. And Japan was the same way. And we really did increase them. Uh, and, and we had people from uh, Japan. We've had uh, two or three people that we got to know real well that came even to Arkansas and sat down and talked with us as well. In South Korea, South Korea certainly has a lot of issues there and uh, with feeding their people as well. They have a lot of people, but they don't have a lot enough land and resources to produce the food, fiber, and shelter that they need. And so South Korea was also another big issue that we went there and, and actually had some results out of that. Panama, Mexico, Canada. Uh, and to several EU countries. And, you know, EU has the same issue, but they have really more restrictions on their farmers there than we do so far. But uh, hopefully that we 
leave our farmers in a position that they can continue to provide the food, fiber, and shelter that not only our nation needs, but most of the world, and that we also give them opportunity in that, that they can produce what they need to Mm -hmm. and make a living for their family and keep the farm going. Yeah, certainly. That's a big issue. Certainly. So as we sit here and, 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 and begin to wrap up our our conversation today i just want to let our listeners know i just want to read a few get your calendars out i want to read a few dates to you so uh so randy was board member of american farm bureau for 11 years okay he's a board member of arkansas farm bureau for 20 years vice president for five years president of arkansas farm bureau for 11 years and then on top of that he's also served as a board member for the Southern Farm Bureau Casualty Insurance Company, I think 16 years there. And you were the first Arkansan to ever serve as chairman of the board for Southern Farm Bureau Life Insurance Company. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, president and chairman. Yeah. So president and chairman and board member of that organization. So, my goodness, what, what a resume. I mean, it's really incredible the things you've done and the way you've been able to represent Arkansas on 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 not only a statewide stage, uh, but a national and international stage as well. So I have to ask, with all of that experience that you that we just talked about, if you had a piece of advice to give for those who are out advocating for Arkansas agriculture now, what what would you what would you what would that advice be? What would you tell them? Well. Uh... Repeat that. Say that again. Exactly. Sure. If you had, if you had some advice to share with, um, you know, those who are out advocating for Arkansas agriculture right now, um, what, what advice would you give them? What, what sort of life lesson from your time as an advocate for agriculture would you share? Well, I, I think that there's, you know, it's more than one thing. And, and I think that, one of the most important things is that you, you've got to also put it in perspective that what you are doing is not all about money. Yes, mm-hmm. we, have to ha- we have to have enough money as farmers and ranchers. We have to have enough money uh, through what we sell and what we do that can, we can continue to do it. But another big important point in that is that we're also, we're also feeding not only our families and not only our state and not only our nation, but we're feeding uh, most of the world. The United States is feeding most of the world. People do not realize how important that is. And not only is that that we're feeding people now, you know, that's what God wants us to do. We've we got to be uh, a, a people that want to, to help other people. And so and that's what we do. And, uh, and not only does it, the, the money coming in, yes, for the economy of our nation, agriculture is the largest economic engine in our whole nation. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's keeping our nation going. And, and we see here that when we hurt agriculture, then we also hurt the economy of our nation. And not only do we do that, but we restrict the opportunity for us to feed fiber and shelter the world. Yeah, I think yeah, that's you're exactly right, um, and we've got to we've got to continue um, advocating for for that position and that that position of strength. Okay, last question for you, and I'll let you get back to it because I know you've got a lot going on. Um, you we you joked uh, we talked before, and you you sort of joked about being retired, and um, but I know that you must be in some way. I mean, as as much of a break as you can get because uh, you're obviously still still busy serving in, in numerous positions. Um, you know, tell us, uh, what, what have you done to enjoy retirement? What, what, what really makes a perfect day in the retirement life of, of Randy Beach? Well, um, I, I, I get to spend a little more time with family, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's, that's important to me. And, uh, I uh, think God has given me things that 
that I should do, and I, I do do those, and I, I continue to uh, work for agriculture, and, and uh, uh, I still go when I, I run into people and the subject comes up. I try to explain to them and tell them how important it is mm-hmm. everywhere that I go and uh, even in other countries. And so I, I see that uh, uh, even though that I'm, I'm not in a position uh, like I was in Arkansas Farm Bureau, but I'm still in, in a position that I can help people understand, understand how important it is, what our farmers and ranchers do every day of their lives. And, uh, and we are depending on uh, the weather and all of that and the prices and those kind of things and, and, and trade, we're depending on all of those. And we actually don't have total control of those things. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's difficult. But uh, you have to have your whole heart in it. And, uh, and you continue to do it. And, uh, and that's what makes uh, our farmers what they are. And that's what makes our nation great. Well, amen. Uh, I, can t- I think it's safe to s- to tell here that uh that even even in retirement you haven't you haven't really retired you haven't stopped your your passion or or your advocacy for for agriculture and uh for that i want to tell you thank you but also tell you thank you for making the time to join us here um as we um go out and highlight each of the 2021 class uh of, of inductees for the arkansas agriculture hall of fame Appreciate your time immensely. Thank you so much. Uh, wish you the best in retirement as you continue to advocate for agriculture. Well, yes, I will. I will always speak up for and do all I can for agriculture and our farmers and ranchers in our state and our nation. Well, thank you for that once again. And we look forward to seeing you in August at the uh, induction ceremony. Each year, the FFA holds an Arkansas Agricultural Education Summer Teachers Conference. It's a week-long convening of ag teachers at Camp Couchdale in Garland County. Steve Powell tells us while the camp hasn't changed much over the years, the makeup of the teachers has. Here's what he learned during his visit. Anthony Sanders, Valley View. They're giving away door prizes under the big pavilion at Camp Couchdale. On this July morning, it's warm and getting warmer, but no one is complaining. Picture some 200 ag teachers from across Arkansas sitting in folding chairs making easy conversation. Almost all of them say this together time on the shores of Lake Catherine is special. The FFA provides this week-long camp as a teacher in service and there are lots of workshops like the proper way to prep poultry for show. This is a good idea. Put your hand underneath the breast in between the two legs. Okay. So, so, like so this? then you've got your the legs between your fingers and he can't go anywhere. But this week is less about show and tell and more about give and take. Jennifer Cook is FFA Foundation Director. Um, it's, you know, it's just a chance really to network for our teachers. And some of the best teacher training that's happening um, may not even be happening during the workshop. It's, it's after hours when a seasoned teacher can take this, this two-year-in teacher, you know, under his wing and say, this is what you need to try, you know, to address this. Or have you thought about this pathway for this kid? And so there's just a lot of... of um, lifting up and building up that happens here. I am Ashley Lewis. I graduated from Arkansas Tech University. I'm originally from Calico Rock and I am now teaching at Shirley High School. The real communication, the real like learning you're going to have is these conversations after dinner, at supper, at breakfast with the older generation who have been doing it a lot longer than me. They know so much more than I do. Why not just sit there and just let it soak up? Like I want to know everything that they know good idea. After all, those mentors are responsible for her being here in the first place. I always loved agriculture. I got into it pretty young. I started showing about the 10th grade, um, but about my junior or senior year of high school, I was like, man, I really need to pick something 
as like something that's always been a consistent of me. I was never a great student in school, but ag was something I was great at. So I was like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm dyslexic, I struggled a lot in school, so I was like, I want to be an ag teacher because my ag teacher is the one who really helped me through everything. So I want to be that for somebody else. That story is not uncommon. Jennifer Cook again on what drives these teachers regardless of experience. Really, the foundation of everything they do is based on leadership development. Um, what they learn in the classroom, then they go and compete in contest areas with that, and they have to communicate and, and sell their ideas a lot of times to a panel of judges. And so, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bigger picture than what a lot of people really think, but um, ultimately, we're turning out kids that are leaders, and leadership is a transferable skill. So uh, we're making families better, we're making communities better, we're making corporations better. Um, so whether our kids are going into agriculture, um, they're going into something that is indirectly at least tied to agriculture. If you ask any educator here about their ag teacher, You'll hear words like dedicated, tireless, selfless, but for generations, the most common description may have been male. FFA Treasurer Monica Griffin, a former ag teacher herself, says that's changed. I know there are other women ag teachers that they can literally say, I looked around the room and I was one of a handful. And even with, with my class coming in, it was very much so that I could probably count with fingers and toes all the female ag teachers that were in the room and, and now coming back, the amount of women that I'm not even familiar with, we've seen so many women coming into the classroom and teaching. So really excited about that because we get such a family vibe having women in the, in the room and it shows our younger ladies that strong female role model um, and, and getting a different perspective of how agriculture works. I think sometimes we, we take for granted just all the different the niche markets that are in agriculture and sometimes our women are going to be able to put a better insight on a certain niche market within agriculture than some of our gentlemen are but it takes both views in order to make our, our agricultural society just as strong as we possibly can. I was real nervous to go into it but my program we were more female than male right now it's been a total flip in it so when I first started I was like oh I'm gonna be like one of the only female ag teachers I'm gonna be really outnumbered I don't know what I'm getting myself into and then I got to tech and I have made some of the greatest friends I can have and then getting here and seeing how many female ag teachers there are it's amazing to see that overturn and I think it I think it's great it's a more diverse environment um, about a third of our ag teachers are women um, over half of our leadership roles taken in local and state and even our national organization are, are women. So, um, you know, young ladies are very creative and um, their drive is uh, hard to beat sometimes. My name is Monette Baker. I'm from Lee County School District, which is in Mariana, Arkansas. Um, this is my second year, in, uh, going into my second year. It makes me feel good because it's a part of me. I am uh, a product of Lee County. Uh, left, came back, and giving back to my community and just giving them the things that I had growing up. Because I started in ag in seventh grade, and it was just tremendous. It really helped me throughout the years in my adult life. Uh, putting up, a, <laughs> painting my house, or putting up a, um, I guess you would say, a ceiling fan. If I didn't have those tools when I were in school, I would be paying someone to do it. So it kind of it feels good to come back to give them something that I got when I was in school. Now they're able to experience the same things that I experienced. Monette's experience is sorely needed in a school that's gone without an ag program for far too long. With my program, we were 17 years and we did not have an ag program. Uh, couldn't find anyone to teach. And uh, last year, uh, opportunity came for me to step in and start the program up. So starting the program up, we were starting from scratch for the equipment, uh, the clean-outs, uh, just trying to find um, a path for the students to get them back into agriculture. But it has changed a lot, and it's just, it's a very welcoming environment. You know, men don't um, look at the female ag teachers as a less-than counterpart. They see them more as an equal because they, they do bring a lot of different skill sets, I think, to the table. 
Like when I was in school, there was maybe three or four girls that was in class. To come back to see all these ladies up under, it's just amazing because I'm not used to seeing that. Women, we mostly do girly things. Now I'm seeing them doing the things that guys do, so we're making that change as well. One size doesn't fit all, and that's the neat thing about agriculture. We're all related. Um, if you're interested in promotion, if you're interested in um, social media, if you're interested in welding, if you're interested in poultry production, you know it's all interrelated. So there's something for everyone. And ag teachers are kind of jacks and jills of all trades. But occasionally those jills need a chance to learn some of the trades traditionally handled by their male counterparts. Leanna Britton has taught agriculture in Ryzen for 16 years. Over the years, I have seen an influx of women into the um, career area, and I think it's great that we have women ag teachers, but there also becomes a void of where they don't have the shop skills that they need, uh, and that's no fault of their own. They just didn't have the opportunity to learn them, either in high school or college, and so they're at these schools where most of them are single teachers, and they're being... Um, they're teaching these shops classes, but they don't have the skills to back up what they need to be teaching their students. And so I think it's important to have workshops like I'm putting on today about tools and resources that they can use in their shop in order to make it better. Both men and women have plenty to learn at Britain's workshop, and it's clear there are no stupid questions. You as a teacher this summer, you need to at least make an inventory of your big power tools, what you have, you know, what doesn't work. We need to learn these skills, but we don't like to learn them in an environment where we feel intimidated or we feel like we can't ask questions and be vulnerable. And so that is the reason I designed these workshops because I want them to come in knowing this is a judgment-free zone, that we are honestly here to help them, and it's all about their learning. It's all about them leaving there after three days with a project that is complete with instructions that they can take back and do and do well in their shop with their students. It's not just about what goes on in your classroom every day, it's about what goes on in every ag classroom every day, and I wanna be able to impact every ag classroom in a positive way through these workshops, not just my own. I had the privilege of coming up with some really awesome male and female ag teachers, and male ag teachers that was willing to take me under their wing and be a mentor to me, and I've learned from them, and I just wanna give the next generation of ag teachers the same opportunity. And there it is again. Pay it forward, the guiding principle that ag educators, both male and female, have used to become the backbone of the ag community. Monica Griffin says it's the life lessons learned now that will be the lifeline of the future. Anytime that you can show a kid how to stand up and speak for themselves, and so if we're, we're from an ag teacher's perspective, we're teaching them how to fight for the rights of agriculturists. But through that, they can see, well, this is how I put together a sound, logical argument so that in anything that I'm passionate about in life, this is how I can form an argument that is intelligent, that shows that I've done my research and that it's not just coming from an emotional base, which I think everybody's passion, argument, fight comes from an emotional sector, but you're gonna be influential in that fight if you can actually articulate what you're thinking about. Some of these teachers I've met for the very first time Monday when we got here, and they've already become some of my really good friends. Like, I could call on them, they could call on me, and we could help each other. It's what the FFA designed this week for, because getting together here leads to getting better in the classroom. Finally, Jason sits down with Dr. Rocky Lindsay, University of Arkansas Monticello Assistant Professor, to learn about the addition of a sheep herd to its animal science and pre-vet courses and how the addition will provide more learning opportunities for students on campus. We're here talking today with Dr. Rocky Lindsay at the University of Arkansas Monticello. He's an assistant professor uh, here in the Animal Sciences Department. And we're going to talk about the addition of a sheep herd here uh, to enhance the learning opportunities for animal science and pre-vet courses. Uh, Dr. Lindsay, thank you for uh, joining us, or Dr. Rocky, I guess, as some people call you around campus. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell, let's kick off by telling us a little bit about um, the animal science program here at uh, UAM, and uh, yeah, we'll just start there. Okay. So I'm a graduate of the animal science program here at UAM. Um, in the um, 90s, uh, went on to vet school and uh, have been a veterinarian for over 20 years. Um, 
So about five years ago, I started. Uh, I came back to UAM as a uh, professor to uh, teach animal science students here. Uh, UAM Animal Science is a really good program. The agriculture program in general is because we uh, we do a lot of hands-on teaching. We want you to have practical knowledge so that you can leave and go into the workforce and be productive. Um, so. Um, it, part, it puts our animal science students in a leg up with the industry, also the ones that want to be veterinarians. It gives them, uh, our program gives them the ability to uh, handle and learn uh, large animal skills with cattle. Uh, we have a rodeo team, so with horses, uh, that um, gives them a little bit of a, a leg up on the competition. A lot of students don't have that opportunity. So uh, one thing that we've done this year is add sheep to our mix. Um, because uh, the small ruminant uh, industry is growing in America and um, we have a community, local community here that is really underserved as far as education and, and uh, opportunities. So we want to teach our students how to raise uh, or to handle work, handle, raise uh, this species uh, so that they can, uh, again, help the local community, help in the job, have a leg up in the job market or potentially mm -hmm. get into vet school. Yeah, no, that's great. And I should mention, as you talked about being hands-on, uh, recording this right here on the edge of a pasture yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as on campus, in the middle of campus. So, right. um, so what, what, uh, what sort of, you talked about some of the inspiration to bring the sheep herd. What was that process like bringing on the sheep herd? How many sheep are here? And, okay. and, and yeah, we'll just start with that. So, um, there is a local community here that's kind of hidden, but it's uh, it's it's very vibrant once you get into it. Of uh, small ruminant producers, they have sheep and and uh, goats, and um, and there's really very little uh, resources out there for them to learn about how to raise the species correctly. Uh, the differences between a sheep and a cow, or uh, the differences in management practices between goats and sheep and cattle. Um, so um, UAM uh, has cattle and we have a great uh, beef cattle operation and um, there are benefits to raising sheep with cattle. There's what's called multi-species grazing uh, where uh, sheep eat what cows don't like, cows eat what sheep don't like so they benefit each other in their pasture management and also um, they benefit each, each other with parasites. Uh, cow eat the sheep worms, sheep eat the cows worms and, and they don't develop in the other species, so they actually help with the parasites and intestinal worms. So um, there was advantages to having sheep on campus for that reason. Um, I, it took me about four years to convince them <laughs> to, to get the sheep here. Um, there is some infrastructure issues. Uh, you can see the fencing uh, is, needs to be different. Uh, the, uh, a regular barbed wire fence will not hold a sheep in. Uh, they have a hollow hair shaft, uh, so uh, just really light uh, electrical current from electrical fence does not really Im impact them. So you have to you have to um, have the right infrastructure. You have to we we spent a lot of a couple of weeks rebuilding this uh, perimeter fence uh, to keep the sheep in and and to get the right type of electrical fencing in there to keep them off the fence. Um, so that's a that's that was uh, some initial input costs that. Uh, that we had to figure out a way to uh, to come up with, but once the sheep are here, uh, it's going to be a, a, a good draw for the community. I think it'll attract students. I think as a recruitment tool, there are uh, um, a lot of uh, students that come from families that raise these animals, um, and then also it'll be a good uh, outreach for the community just to to show them how to properly manage a sheep herd. We're going to add goats out here as well to add a goat herd. Uh, to an uh, operation, to an existing operation, or to a new operation, so that uh, they can uh, successfully manage these animals. Because there are some challenges with with the uh, species, as there is with any, that are unique, and um, so uh, education will be will be helpful to both the student, the university, and the and the community. Yeah, well, let's talk about some of those challenges. What are what are a few things that a, a new student um, to this program mm -hmm. may may pick up, maybe maybe they've raised sheep on their own, gotcha. maybe they're new to, to sheep, um, you know, management in general. 
What are some things they may learn okay. uh, being involved? So um, a lot of uh, producers that buy sheep uh, think they're small cows, so they're going to treat them like cattle. And uh, they really aren't. Uh, they, they do have a herding instinct that's much more, uh, uh, a much more of a herding instinct, I guess is the best way to say that. So let me say that again. They do have a much more of a herding instinct, uh, which is helpful at times when handling them. It also can work against you if you don't handle them, handle them well. Um, the uh, sheep, uh, um, let's see where I'm going to go with that. So a couple of other option, uh, differences between uh, sheep and cattle are um, parasite management. There are, uh, there's a, a worm, an intestinal parasite uh, called the barber pole worm that is very, very detrimental to the sheep and goat industry uh, that has a lot of resistance to a lot of uh, dewormers that are out there. So we, uh, we teach how to manage that properly uh, with selective deworming and what's the FAMACHA scoring system. Um, so we we uh, we show uh, we're going to show the students and the and the and the producer hopefully the local producer how to how to do that. We're going to uh, show them how to properly care for their feet. That's the other big issue between difference between cattle and sheep is uh, and and goats or proper foot care. Um, and also how do you handle them? Um, you handle cattle differently than you handle sheep than you than you handle goats. Uh, sheep can actually be uh, turned and set on the rear end and worked. You can, they'll sit there uh, on the rear end and, and you can check, check, check them for parasites, you can trim their feet. Can't do a goat that way and you can't do a cow that way, you know? <laughs> so, you know, there's, a, there, there's differences there. So we will teach you how to properly handle them. Uh, one of the uh, big emphasis of our campus uh, in the beef cattle industry is we're BQA certified. I'm a BQA certified instructor. Uh, beef quality assurance uh, is a way to uh, show the producer how to uh, uh, humanely handle their cattle, uh, how to ethically handle your herd, and, and we're going to translate that over into the sheep herd. How do you ethically and humanely handle your sheep? So the low stress techniques, they, if, they're, if they're not stressed, they're producing more. It's, it's a financial benefit for the producer as well, as well as just a, uh, an ethical thing to do. So, speaking of that, we've got, uh, these are hair sheep versus wool right, sheep. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit yeah. about the difference there mm -hmm. and why we're seeing an uptick in sort of popularity for hair okay. sheep here? So we have uh, Katahdin sheep here, which is a hair sheep. Um, the hair sheep, uh, they produce wool, but they shed their wool naturally um, in the springtime, which is um, a benefit uh, that you don't have to shear them. Um, now wool does have some financial value and there are a lot of sheep in the America that, that uh, the wool sheep are, are, are very much the most popular one. But in our area, um, in our hot, humid environment, the hair sheep do much better. They have higher parasite resistance as well. Um, so uh, this is strictly a meat breed. Uh, and people often ask, is there a market? What's the market? Why have hair sheep? Um, there is a market for hair sheep in our area. Um, a lot of, uh, it can be traced back to immigration. A lot of the uh, immigrants into America came from countries where uh, small ruminants were much more popular, um, sheep and goat. Uh, and um, Americans don't really go to the restaurant and look for uh, a leg of lamb, you know, but there are a lot of cultures in the world that's exactly what they look for. So um, the hair sheep is a meat producing sheep that uh, provides for that market, which is very stable. There, there is actually a very much a void of, of sheep, meat, mutton, or, or lamb uh, in America, a lot of importation of that to, to satisfy that need. So what that does is that stabilizes the market. You, uh, there's very little ebbs and flows. Uh, there, you pretty well know as a sheep producer, as a hair producer, what those animals are gonna bring uh, at, at certain times of the year. So that, that is, a, there's a stability factor as well. Also, there's less in, input costs. Uh, other than the, the, the initial input cost of the perimeter fencing, um, less feed, less hay, uh, less equipment needed to, uh, to work with the hair sheep. Yeah, uh, a stable market, certainly uh, sort of a unicorn when it comes to agriculture uh, production. That's right. Yeah, the, the cattle market is, is boy, there's, there's peaks and valleys. And some years you can 
actually make a living as a cow-calf producer and then some years uh, you lose money as a cow-calf yeah. producer and, and it seems like we're on the losing end of that more than the, uh, the other end. Uh, with the hair sheep market, um, it's, it's very stable. There, because of the lack of supply and the high demand in America, um, the, the market is very stable and that you know the price based on the time of year you're going to get for your animal. And the time of year matters in that typically the market is highest whenever there are uh, holidays coming up. You know, Americans eat a hamburger on the 4th of July. Uh, during Easter, uh, Hispanic uh, uh, community will be more apt to uh, eat sheep. So uh, eat, eat mutton. So, so that's uh, so you can time your your sales of your uh, of your livestock to uh, to take advantage of those those market conditions. Yeah. Great. Well, speaking of management tools and uh, management practices, I see two of your new management tools <laughs> who have just joined us here yeah. on the fence. Uh, a couple of dogs and a, and a young puppy. Tell That's us right. about those. So we have Axel, Rose, and Slash, which are our dogs. <laughs> um, so sheep, um, like any species, are prone to predation. Um, now a cow uh, can ward off a coyote pretty well, and a calf grows pretty big pretty quick, so you don't have to worry about it as much. But even the adult sheep, uh, like the ones we have here, are, are prone to dog attacks or coyote attacks, so they need more protection. Uh, so one thing that we do is we, um, we have livestock guardian dogs. And there's a few breeds that are, are pretty adept at that. We have uh, primarily Great Pyrenees, Anatolian Shepherd, uh, Akbosh, which are three of the pretty well-known livestock guardian breeds. And, and all of these guys out here have a little bit of that, of that in them. And they, their job is to protect the sheep. Their job is to bark when the coyote shows up and, and, and ward him off or defend the sheep if the coyote gets in the pen. Um, so we have uh, a mature dog here, and that's Slash, and he's been around the block. He knows what he's doing, and he's training Axel and Rose here uh, <laughs> to do the same thing. You know, he's, he's teaching them to, one, not play too rough with the sheep, that they're there to, for protection and not as, as chew toys, and, um, and just to how, to how to guard the herd. So we have, uh, we have a, uh, an adult dog teaching the younger dogs how to do that, and, and that's one thing that we're gonna do with our program here is train the students on how to train the livestock guardian dogs uh, to better uh, protect their herd. Oh, that's fascinating. So, so not only training them uh, within the care of the of the sheep, but themselves, but also training them on how to train a dog right. to protect the sheep. Yep, that's fantastic. Well, um, is there anything that we haven't really talked about or mentioned that that you would like to add? And then I'll I've got two more trick questions for you. Okay. All right. Let me think here. I hope that the, uh, this program, it has a lot of potential. There is a vastly underserved uh, community in Southeast Arkansas and really across uh, the South, the U.S. Um, in education uh, and opportunities for those that want to uh, learn more about small ruminant production. So I hope that we, uh, we fill a void uh, there. I hope that uh, students come here. We have developed a course with the lab called Sheep and Go Production that we will be hands-on with these sheep and that will go through in a semester um, the basic production practices of sheep and goats and then uh, and then the lab will be hands-on where we'll show them how to handle and, and treat and, and uh, manage this sheep herd. So I'm excited for the opportunity to have this addition to the to UAM. Yeah, that's great. That's great. All right, these two are for the podcast. Okay. I'll give you a heads up on each. One is, and I ask this question generally every podcast interview I do, is there a myth about hair sheep okay. that we can bust okay. now? Just like a fun, interesting fact, or, right. or maybe an interesting fact that maybe people don't know. Okay. And then the second thing, and I'll ask you these individually here in a second, and the second one is what's your favorite? Since we're talking about a sheep that's bred yeah. for meat, what's your favorite dish from gotcha. from this? If you if you want to if you don't yeah. want to answer one of those, no, no, that's, that's okay. That's good. Or, all right, all right, all right. So uh, one of the questions I try and ask a lot uh, in podcast interviews is, uh, do we have an opportunity here to bust a myth? Is there a myth about 
sheep or, or, or hair sheep or, or, or yard dogs even yeah. um, that we can uh, take on right here, right now. Yeah, so uh, the, the honest myth sounds morbid, but is sheep look for a place to die, you know? Ah. So uh, that's, a, that's a myth that honestly is, is not true. With proper management and learning to see the keys, um, sheep are a uh, are prey animal. So if a sheep shows signs of sickness, they lag behind the herd, then they're the easy target for the for the predator, right? So they hide disease by nature, yeah. and sheep are very good at it. But they do give you signs, they do give you clues. So uh, management's the key, and learning your sheep, and learning to look for what's abnormal, and uh, and know that if they're showing any abnormality, that it's a big deal, okay? Mm -hmm. Or else they wouldn't be showing it. So mm -hmm. manage it quickly. Don't get on it tomorrow, get on it today. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then you should not show up one day and find dead sheep in the field, yeah, like yeah. like the like the uh, like the old adage is sheep for look for a place to die. So um, now death is going to be a part of any livestock production, sure. and things happen. But but I pride myself in my own management of my herd at my home, and then we'll pride ourselves here that that we will have a, a healthy, robust robust herd. Yeah, that's great. All right, last question. Uh -huh. So we talked about uh, hair sheep being, uh, you know, being raised for meat. Uh -huh. So I've got to ask, what is your favorite dish uh, coming from uh, uh, hair sheep or, or from mutton? So people ask me all the time, what does sheep taste like? And I, or what does goat taste like? Because we'll have goats out here as well. And my answer is sheep taste like sheep, goats taste like goat. Okay, they don't taste <laughs> like chicken. They don't taste like beef. They taste like their species. So, um, now you can doctor and make it, you know, however you want, but uh, it's just, it's a different taste. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people love it, some people don't, that's okay. But like I said, there are cultural uh, influences there where they, they really prefer it, a lot of cultures do. Um, my favorite sheep dish are sliders. Uh, we grind it up like hamburger meat mm -hmm. and make kind of a sloppy joe out of it, and it's really good. Awesome, all right, <laughs> there you go go out and find you a recipe to make uh, sheep sliders and, uh, and you'll have it made. That's right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Lindsay, for joining us. Uh, appreciate you making the time today, showing us around and, and, uh, and sitting down to talk to us. That's all for another Arkansas AgCast. Join us again next Thursday for more news and views on Arkansas agriculture.